Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. Back at it again, Tulsa edition. Uh, here in the hotel where you have donned the beautiful purple and gold <laughs> pajama top. I was looking at some of the social media. Lane Corley. Oh, yeah. Our friend Louisiana said it looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very grateful to see you in those colors. Okay. David Jackson said it looked nightmarish and he will never be able to unsee it. <laughs> He's an Alabama fan, which is I it's has he ever lived in Alabama? He, he, he yeah, he he lived in Tuscaloosa. Okay. His dad was a pastor in Tuscaloosa. All right. He may have been born in Tuscaloosa, I think. Man, I know he was in Arkansas and New Orleans. David and... has lived more places than anyone I know. Yeah. Like he's like every time I'm like, Oh, you ever been? He's like, Oh yeah, I lived there for like 20, 27 years. <laughs> Did he ever live in Alaska? Because I mean <laughs> Maybe so. No, I don't think he's ever lived in Alaska. But I know he did live. He lived. His wife's from Jacksonville. Okay. He lived in New Orleans. He lived in Tuscaloosa. He lived in California. He lived mm-hmm. up in the Northeast. He's in South Carolina now. Great team member for the replant team. Uh, but yeah, his comment was nightmarish. Yeah. Uh, I can't unsee this. So. Well, the shirt kind of looks like a. Um, it's like a camo pattern of of. Is it gold? Uh, yeah, purple and gold. Purple and gold, and there's some black in there. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I guess I could hide out at an LSU game. <laughs> but I don't know if I would want to go to Death Valley. I, yeah. I don't think I've – I I don't know that – well, I have cheered for LSU. The only time that I've ever cheered for LSU is when they're playing Alabama. Yeah. We should go to a battle of the boot together Yeah, in Death Valley. Yeah. We should like one year. Let's go. Let's do two years in a row. Let's do Death Valley one year, and let's do up in Fayetteville. Yeah, the Fayetteville's great. I'd love to see a game there. The stadium has changed a ton since since yeah. I went to college there. And but yeah, that'd be fun. Maybe we could, uh, you know, live stream some sections of it and um, yeah. have a good time. So. Well, uh, we'll start a, a GoFundMe for everybody to help us buy tickets. <laughs> yeah, I and... don't even know what tickets would cost. <laughs> Crazy. Hey, I wanted to to leapfrog backwards a little bit. Okay. We did an episode on theological education for your congregation, right? All right. And so we weren't as much talking specifically about just your normal discipleship process as like specifically theological education and how do we teach our people theologically. And so I kind of wanted to come back on discipleship a little bit. I came across an article by Carl Vader's. I like Carl. He does some really good stuff, uh, especially for small churches, and it's mm-hmm. kind of his focus. And mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, very similar. And look, we're not in competition. We love to point you to great resources that are out there. Anything that's helpful for what you're doing, we want you to jump in on. So there was this article, Making Disciples Without Overworking the Pastor, a Simple Five-Step Process. Yeah. So I want to talk through this with you, Bob, see what your thoughts are and what we maybe could add to the conversation as not just the theological education, but just the regular discipleship stuff. Because really, we have to remember that so much of church revitalization really is about making disciples, right? What is it Clifton says? Make, making disciples that make, make disciples, disciples that make the community mm-hmm. noticeably better. Yeah. I think far too often discipleship processes are not intentional, and we kind of hoping 
that they just happen. Uh, we do stuff and we're like, I hope some discipleship stuff happens mm-hmm. in these programs that we have. And so this goes a little deeper into like, how do we customize it? And how do we really think about each member? That's one of the benefits you have in a smaller church is you you can kind of think more towards each member than if you're in a larger church. Yeah, and I think the, the thing I've learned over time is that discipleship is very relational. Yes. And because it's very relational, the, you can you can approach it institutionally, mm-hmm. right? But I think if, because it's relational, if you take the intentional route and, and you just say, what, what am I going to do here? to see that, and again, I'll go back to Colossians 1, 28 and 29, the goal that we have is to proclaim Christ, to warn and teach, and then I love what uh, 29 says, that we may present everyone mature before Christ. Mm. So there's a discipleship that that has to take place for every single person, regardless of their age, helping them take a step towards Jesus. And you can do some organized things institutionally, and when I say that, I mean like church-wide, yeah. right? You can do some really helpful things. But you're going to miss some folks for whom that doesn't fit, either in terms of where they are with the Lord, in yeah. their walk, in their uh, age, spiritual age, or their avail- their time availability. Yeah. And so I, I think we've got to have all kinds of opportunities to, to help people take a next step with Jesus. And I think what Carl has done here is he's really kind of given us a framework that helps us see that yeah. in ways that are beyond just the program, right? Let's do the programs, but let's also take a... a, a personal, intentional approach as well. Yes, a couple episodes ago, we talked about, we recommended the book, No Silver Bullets by Daniel M. That's good for your kind of institutional, programmatic, how do you think about this corporately for the whole body? This article that we'll have linked in the show notes kind of drills down into how are we thinking about each person and their own discipleship. So he starts out with, meet with every new believer. I think about this often when I see like a bunch of people get baptized. Mm. Uh, I think, man, I wonder if anybody, not just, I understand most likely somebody met with them to see if they truly need to be baptized. But beyond that, I'm always, I I hope that someone is meeting with them one-on-one just just to hear their story, get to know them a little bit. But if you're the pastor of a large church, you can't meet with every new believer. Right. You gotta. That's where you're equipping the saints to do that work of ministry. Right. But I think take advantage of the fact of having a smaller congregation. That's what Carl argues for here. Is 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 yeah. Every new believer that you you can do it right. You can have a coffee meeting, a lunch meeting, a in their home pastoral visit, or just in the hallway or the lobby at church, but you you can have a meeting with every single new believer in your church. And here's the deal. If you're going to push back on that, then praise God, because you're leading so many people to Jesus, <laughs> you don't have time. That's great. That's a great problem to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that by taking this step, what you're trying to do is to get them pointed in the right direction. Yeah. Right? So I think what we're talking about is maybe a, an initial meeting, to understand their story, yep. their Jesus story, how they came to faith, and then f- figuring out how can I help them take a couple of more steps with Jesus. Yeah. Right? So that's what we're talking about. Well, and remember, that this article is titled, Making Disciples Without Overworking the Pastor. So yeah. it may at first feel like, wow, now you're adding more work, but you got to keep going, and you'll see that in this process, it, you don't end up discipling all the new believers. Right. So step two, determine how they learn and grow. He says, here's an example. Based on my meeting with a new believer who had no Bible knowledge whatsoever, after a short exploratory conversation, I determined that the best way for him to start growing in his newfound faith was to read the Gospel of John. I told him to start by reading one chapter a day, just chew on it, and if he wanted to reread the same chapter the next day, then do that until he was ready to move on to the following chapter. 
When I checked in on him and a couple of Sundays later, he was only on John 5, and I, he said, I sat with John 3 for a few days. And he told me with great joy, that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus was fantastic. Hmm. And so he smiled, he goes, he's getting it, right? God's doing, uh, God's word was doing its work. And after that, they caught up regularly and went through the book of Acts and continued on. And the point here is, it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter exact approach with every single believer kind of get to know them get to know who they are determine how they learn and grow and help come up with a plan that can help them take the next step forward i love his uh bullet point questions in this section where he really kind of unlayers uh, the background of the person that you're meeting with and so you know what i just let's let's say this you know most of the time when we have meetings as pastors we recommend you know pastors meet with guys right mm-hmm. so same gender or if you're going to meet with a, a lady you know bring your wife bring uh, an, another trusted leader a female leader in the church right it's just to, you know because you have that importance of that that safeguarding in that relationship but there's some things that contribute to our ability to grow in Christ mm. that have a, a little bit or maybe quite a bit to, to do with our background. And so he, he points some things out here, and I love these bullet points. He said, what was their family like growing up, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's some, some family of origin dynamics. How did they like school? Do they like to read? Are they hands-on learner? Are they relationship-oriented? Do they, what do they do in their spare time? What was their best learning experience in the past? All these kinds of things, and he goes on to ask. So really, I think what he's trying to do is customize some suggestions for a person who's seeking to grow in their walk with Christ. And so, Jimbo, we, we've done this all the time with pastors, like we've said. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're a bivocational guy. You, you don't have a lot of time to read. Um, how about listening to some books, right? Yeah. How about listening to some podcasts? You maybe love to read, and so you really want to dig deep in a resource. Or maybe you like to read, but but you're, you don't have any kind of religious background, and so you're trying to figure out some things. And so we can really customize uh, a learning style and approach and content based on getting to know somebody. Yeah. Rather than saying, and back in my day, it was it would, there were two things that, particularly in student ministry, we would give new believers something called the survival kit, which was really good. Yep. Or you know, in my college years, it was uh, I think it was Paul Little's book, Know What You Believe, was one. There were some Master Life courses from Avery Willis back in the SBC days, and then also in student ministry, we used these Billy Beecham student discipleship manual mm-hmm. material. Right, fill in the blanks, have a discussion, and all those things are framework. Right. Yeah, to get conversations going about the scriptures and about application, unto having conversations. And so I think the the what where we got lost in the eighties, perhaps the eighties and the, the late eighties and the nineties, was we would toss resources at people and expect that to be enough. Yeah, and expect them to to take a self guided journey through material, rather than having a relationship with somebody who could have conversations about what they were studying. That's key. That's so good because. I get you're trying not to be overworked, right? And so right. if you can have a book that you can just hand somebody, certainly that would be easier. And that's one of the things that we've talked about before on the podcast is you can't think with an efficiency mindset mm-hmm. when it comes to discipleship. There are areas of leadership that you can think with an efficiency mindset, but discipleship can't be one of them. Because no. it's not efficient. It's individualized and customized and relational and it's touch and go and it's up and down and back and forth and and so many different things and so 
you got to spend some time as you know figuring out you or you got to train your leaders your elders your deacons or whatever how are we meeting with new believers young believers and immature believers and helping them figure out and how they learn and and create a plan Mm -hmm. so the third Connect them with a mature believer and the right resources. There are new believers in our church who meet regularly with mature believers to learn, grow, and be discipled. Each one of them does it differently depending on their circumstance. So this is where you start kind of matchmaking, right? Mm -hmm. This is where you move from the not being overworked. So you kind of get the ball rolling, but this is where you also get to really equip the saints to do the work of ministry and figure out, you know who would be really good for you to meet with on a regular basis is so-and-so, and they could really walk this with you and you start to match make that a little bit yeah i think there's there's um i've heard this recently and recent by recently i'll probably say in the last four or five years maybe even longer than that we we typically have kind of the one mentor or the one discipler model stuck in our minds and there's a trend to say you don't just need one person to disciple or mentor you you need several right you need you need folks who are good at prayer. You need folks who are good at scripture study. You need yeah. folks who are good at, you know, serving. You need folks who are good at family and all those sorts of things. And rarely do you find one person who's good at everything. Yeah. And so if you had have a host of disciples, a host of mentors, you know, it makes me think of the, the great Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews, right? Mm-hmm. That we learn from a variety of people yeah. who walk with the Lord and who are, you know, gifted or excel in one particular way over another. So what I would simply say is find several folks who can help you grow in, in your walk with Jesus so that you're not dependent upon one. And then I would also say this too. There's a little bit of safety in that, in that, Jimbo, sometimes our mentors and those who disciple us, they kind of let us down, right? Yeah. For, for whatever reason, they're not perfect. Maybe they're struggling in some areas of their own life. And then we don't place all of our hopes and, and all of our, our maturity, you know, being trained in Christ on one person, right? I have seen, Jimbo, folks who are talented and gifted and believers, but maybe they have some character issues that mm-hmm. are, you know, overshadowed by their, they overshadow their strengths. And so sometimes people who are discipled by them take on that personality. Right. And so there, we, to be a well-rounded follower of Jesus, we need a group of people who disciple us. Now we don't need to be like going from person to person to person, but we need seasons with certain yeah. people over time who can help us mature in some ways that that maybe we're not mature and so part of even how you would know this is not just meeting with every new believer but you've got to kind of get to know the people you're leading so you can know who would be good at helping lead in different areas right yeah all right so next step four help them plug into an active ministry that utilizes their gifts carl vader says this is the most neglected step of most new believer programs We fill people's heads with Bible knowledge, but we wait too long to activate that knowledge with real-world ministry. And it's dangerous for the believer and for the church. One of the main reasons for pastoral stress in church members with a lot of Bible knowledge who are doing little, if any, practical hands-on outside the church walls ministry. This is where we talked about last week. You talked about we... You know, maybe too educated. Some, some people mm-hmm. are, are, they have all this Bible knowledge, but they're just not actually living anything out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time we see that. And, and I think, too, there's a mistake that leaders make, Jimbo. And, and here's the mistake we approach discipleship in a sequential, linear way and say that there are in our minds that people are not mature enough to serve, mm. right? 
And there's this sliding scale of maturity that in some people's minds, it's unachievable. Like when, when do you, when am I, when am I mature enough to hand out bulletins or, or help clean the church or, you know, do whatever it is, help out with the kids. Like, you know, there's going to be a point where I'm going to have to begin to exercise my gifts because part of, of growing as a disciple is exercising your gifts and realizing, oh man, there's a, there's a lot I need to learn in, in doing that. And I was talking with, with my pastor actually, and we, we were having this conversation and, um, and Clifton will say this too, that, uh, you know, he was consulting a church one time and they said, well, we don't have any young people who are qualified to be deacons. And mm. Clifton told the folks who were telling him that, well, it's your job to qualify them. Yeah. Right. And so how do you do that? You, you do that by actually getting them engaged in ministry, not, and we've really messed this up with our educational system, right? We, we have to go for a long lengthy time period to get a grasp on content before we feel like somebody can actually do something. And what we're seeing a shift in is, is people who are learning on the job training, who are doing some things experientially and Jimbo, we're raising uh, uh, up generations who will look at YouTube and try to figure out some things and do it on their own, right? Yeah. So, but what that shows us is that there's something about us that wants to do and try yeah. while we're growing and learning. Yeah, but we want to do it in a safe place where yeah. we know we're supported and loved and encouraged. And, and so then he moves on to step five, which is really how you keep this thing as a flywheel, just moving, right? As people mature, so you've gone steps one through four with somebody, as you see them mature, call on them to start leading others. That's when you can start identifying them to be the one stepping up and taking on somebody else. Uh, And look, don't wait till they have a master's degree. Like, just as you see some maturity, find somebody younger in the faith than them that they can start to pour into in some way. Discipleship's never finished, but even the most mature believer still has something to learn. But the best way, he says, for a mature believer to keep learning is to teach others as they do the ministry together. Yeah, there's a pastor who was next door to us in, in uh, Webster, and um, his name was uh, Michael Peters. They called him Pastor Pete. I met with him before I became the pastor at our, at our church, and he was explaining to me his discipleship strategy, and he said, Here, here's what a disciple is, and here's how you disciple someone. You disciple someone who you are just a little bit ahead of in the faith, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a complete like grasp of everything, but you just need to be a little bit further along than they are in the faith, and you just tell them what you've learned. Tell them what you know. And he said, that's what we do. We just say, look, are you, are you a little bit further ahead in your faith than they are? Great. Meet with them and talk about what you're learning in, in Jesus, in, in your study of the scriptures, those sorts of things. And, and so what you do is, like you said, it's a flywheel. Yeah. Everybody's got a disciple. Remember, people would say, everybody needs a Paul, everybody needs a Timothy, you know, everybody needs a Barnabas, mm-hmm. you know, and so who are you? Who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? Right. And so there is something to that. Like we need, we need people at all levels engaged in our lives. We need to be discipling others. And so I think this is a great suggestion. And I love what he ends with. This is something we've said on this podcast a lot of times is you just start with one. Yeah. He said, if you don't have a discipleship process in your church, I recommend starting with one person. He said, that's what I did. I walked a new believer through the early stages of discipleship myself including letting them know that they'd be doing ministry themselves in this way someday. And then when another new believer came along, I showed them how to adapt what we've done Mm -hmm. with this new believer, believers, discipling believers. And so you just start with one. 
Look, you don't have to you don't have to be discipling 75 people every year. No. If you as a pastor will truly disciple one person to maturity every year and then you teach them how to do it. I mean, that's that will eventually revitalize your church, right? You become a healthier church if you really do that. Yeah. You know, Jesus had 12, he focused on 3 and then there were 72 etc. And it builds out from there. And so each of those guys, these were three, the 12, they were all discipling other people. They had to be. And that's why we're here today. And so there's there's the discipleship flywheel. If we'll all choose somebody to build into for a, a season and, and we make that a regular part of our congregation, then what you have is you, you have a connected body that's growing and becoming healthy and is living on mission. And so Man, get that discipleship flywheel going, and it can start with just one person. So I would just challenge your pastors, who's the one person in your congregation that you feel drawn to that you believe the Lord would be calling you just to spend time with and talk with them about how they're maturing and following Jesus? One of the hardest things we did at Redemption was we made it a rule for elders and deacons, you have to be discipling someone. Like, there has to be someone you're actively in a discipleship relationship with. And that was harder to implement than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was crucial that the leaders of the church, because I told the guys, I said, here's the deal. If at the very least, we may not get a lot of things right here, but at the very least, every one of us is actively discipling someone, then we're doing something. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're moving the needle. And this is going to be a healthier church and a healthier community because we did that. Yeah, It's not because we had dynamite music and amazing preaching and the coolest facilities and the best children's wing. I think part of why we saw our church get healthier was we just started discipling people. Yeah. Well, it's a great commission, Jimbo, right? Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, right? So, I mean, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Not have, uh, you know, a, a cool, hip and trendy service and you know, coffee bar and all these other things like that's not, I mean, those things are nice and, and helpful, but it's all, they all have to be in service of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples who make disciples. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.